from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Have you been wondering what that symptom is that just won't go away? Have you been worried about a family member's health? Are you confused about a medication that your doctor prescribed? Well, you are in luck because we are here today to answer all of your health-related questions. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC, and you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Hope everybody's having a great morning and a great middle of the week on Hump Day. That's right, it's Wednesday. Got plenty of time to answer your calls and questions, maybe some comments too if you have them. It's all a good uh, experience if we all learn from each other together and maybe we can shed a little light on some dark areas, some questions that you might have about different things that are going on with your health. Whether you're young or old, we're going to take all questions this morning uh, on Southern Remedy. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you'd like to email us, you can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, I hope everybody's staying cool. It was sort of nice yesterday. It's, it's a mate. You know you live in the South when you can rejoice when the temperature outside decreases to 87 degrees and the humidity is only 53%. Man, that was great yesterday. And uh, I worked, uh, worked pretty late in my garage last night cleaning up, doing some remodeling there and um, it just felt really good to feel that night air. I think it was about 69 degrees at my house. So that was, uh, that was nice. Uh, but yeah, if you were in the North, uh, you probably, uh, wouldn't feel that way. Uh, we got a, a caller on the line right now, Jennifer, who's on the road, uh, who I believe is having some knee problems. Good morning, Jennifer. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, so I have a I have a why question. Okay. Um, I am I am having some knee problems, and so my doctor recommended that we do a cortisone shot to my knee to see if it I mean if it fix well it's not going to fix anything but it made it feel better. Well, I freaked out about the cortisone shot for various reasons, and so he reluctantly said, "Okay, look, I can give you what's called a, a Z pack or whatever the five pills than the four than whatever he said but it's not really going to show us the same things my question is why why is a cortisone shot because um, i'm going to have an mri a little bit later in the month but why is a cortisone shot what is a cortisone shot going to do that this z-pack or whatever it's called would not do probably a medrol dose pack i'm guessing is that yes, is that more yeah, Z, yeah. So, uh, so they are both steroids. So, whether you're getting a cortisone or hydrocortisone injection into the joint space itself, or right around an area that has inflammation, uh, or if you're taking something by mouth, they're both similar medications or similar. Uh, they work similar to decrease inflammation. Um, it's not going to fix anything. You said that, but it will decrease a lot of, you know, if you have swelling around the area or an inflammatory response, both will do that. The difference is really in, in where you're localizing it. Uh, so if you take a steroid by mouth, you can get the same effect, 
but it's sort of like shooting a cannon at it rather than a shotgun. Um, if you inject the joint space itself, you'll have fewer systemic side effects from those steroids. Uh, but really, the, the response is going to be about the same. I mean, if you're a little leery of somebody sticking a needle in your knee, honestly, they could do that Medrol dose pack and get almost the same response. Uh, it's just that with the injection, they're putting it right where the, uh, the inflammation is. And sometimes they'll inject a little bit of anesthetic in there, too, and that'll give you a little bit of decrease in pain. You have to be careful with that sometimes because sometimes if, you, if you have a – I'm not sure what your knee problem is, but if you have a meniscal injury or a ligamentous injury, you might, um, you might do some damage if you're not feeling that pain to sort of you know, lay off of it a little bit. But that's the basic difference. They're both steroids. Um, one of them you take by mouth, and it, it goes everywhere in the body. And you can have some side effects from that, like it'll increase your blood sugar transiently. You can stay up, uh, you know, it may keep you up late at night, may retain some fluid. If you have other medical conditions, you have to be sort of careful. But uh, honestly, if you're a diabetic or if you have other medical problems, even the joint injection itself, the cortisone shot, it can raise your blood sugar and do some other things. But it is probably a little bit better to put it right where it's needed. So that's, that's the difference there. Um, honestly, I don't think it, it, it would really be that much difference if you took the medication by mouth. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. All right. Bye-bye. Hope everything clears up there. I always want to ask why, too, and what your options are. That's always a good question to ask your physician is, hey, you know, just because they recommend or we recommend uh, that you need to take something, whether that's a medication or a procedure, uh, we want you to ask why. And if your doctor doesn't, like that, then you need to find another doctor. Let's go to Bob in Oxford. Good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. Thank you for calling. Uh, thanks for your, thanks for taking my call. Uh, recently, I picked up, up a respiratory infection on a trip uh-huh. and came home, and the physician put me on a dose pack with Leviquin for 10 days. I'd taken Leviquin previously in my life, never had any issues. And I noticed uh, the 11th day, the day after I finished it yesterday, my left Achilles heel Ooh. was really giving me some fits. Yep. And it's difficult. I could walk but with a limp and thought, yeah, I'd read that there's possibility of that with Leviquin. But, you know, my doctor in the past said, don't worry about it. That'd be very rare. So what should I do? Should I go back to my physician here in Oxford? Uh, is there anything I can do? Yeah, so that is a, it's it's not a common side effect, but we do see it fairly frequently with fluoroquinolone. So that's the group of medications that Leviquin, Cipro, they're in. Uh, and uh, it can cause some problems with um, either an inflammation or a destruction of the tendon, particularly your Achilles tendon. The Achilles tendon is that part of uh, all those muscles in the back part of your lower leg. They attach on your heel and that Achilles tendon, there's a lot of pressure that goes on that. So it's, it, you think about it, if you're up walking around all day long, uh, it's, it, there's a lot of stress to that area. Uh, and whatever the effect is of these medications on that tendon, it weakens it a little bit. In, in some rare cases, you can actually rupture the tendon. That's obviously bad and that would require surgical, uh, reconstruction to sort of put it back together. But, Bob, at this point, I would uh, cut back. If you're doing any kind of exercise on a regular basis, particularly if it involves that Achilles, basically anything causing, causing an increase in the pain, cut back right now. That uh, Most people who have this, after they finish the antibiotic, it goes away after a week or two. If it persists after that, I'd call your doctor back. And I'd let them know about you know any kind of future uh, episode where you're taking that Leviquin. I would, you know, like to mention uh, upper respiratory infections. Almost all of these are caused by viruses. And if it's, you know, we physicians, we use way too many antibiotics uh, inappropriately in a lot of cases. And generally speaking, I know, you know, people like to feel good fast. um, But it, you know, this is one example where you can have some side effects of the antibiotic. And in most cases, even if you didn't treat it with antibiotic, it's going to get better on its own. Same thing with steroids too. I heard you mention, you know, a dose pack. 
It can make you feel better. It can decrease infection, I mean, inflammation. It's not going to make that infection go away any faster, and in a lot of cases it can do some harm. Uh, So that's standard of care these days is not to treat those, um, you know, unless you're having the symptoms more than about 7 to 10 days. Um, And you can take some over-the-counter stuff, almost anything is going to work just about as, as good as anything else, but most of the time it's it's going to have to get better on its own. But, yeah, Bob, for that for that Achilles pain, I would just try to lay off of it a little bit. If it's hard, okay. if, you know, if you're noticing any weakness, now you're going to have a little bit of weakness just from the pain, but if you notice that you can't bear weight on it, that's a reason to go see somebody right then and there. Or if you notice a bulge uh, at that area where you're having the pain, uh, I would go get that checked out because they may need to do something quick should i get on ibuprofen or anything i don't notice any inflammation unless it's just slight yeah and that's not yet it it, ibuprofen is not going to make it get better any faster it may help with the pain uh but you certainly if it you know if the pain's tolerable i would just i would just go on with what you're doing maybe cut back a little bit on activity tolerable it just put a little limp in my walk yep that's it and uh in fact it was much worse when the onset kicked in last night and actually got better so yeah most you know, most I, of the time you're looking at a couple of days to a week or two at the most okay um, should i just try to minimize walking on it as well you don't have to lay up uh but let pain be your your gauge on that so okay. if it's a little bit of discomfort that's okay if you're noticing a sharp pain or if it feels like it's tearing uh, okay stay off of it okay Excellent. No need to wrap it or anything. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't immobilize it or wrap it at this okay. point. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much for this uh, valued information. Oh, you're welcome, Bob. Hope you get better uh, soon. Thank you. Have a great day. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and we're taking all of your calls and questions, maybe some comments too, and uh, good calls so far. So we got plenty of time for you to call in. You can reach us this morning live at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, plenty of time for your questions and also maybe a couple of things in the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're taking your calls, questions about the health uh, risk that you may be having. Maybe somebody told you something. Maybe you heard something on the news, just wanted some clarification that we are here for you. That's right. The doctor is always in here on Southern Remedy. You can give us a ring this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can call one 672 which is the same number. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Rose in Charleston. Good morning, Rose. Good morning. Thank you for calling. What's going on with you this morning? Yeah, I was going on some steps last week, and I hit my foot where my shoe actually hit the staircase, my left foot. Uh-huh. And in my left calf, uh, it felt like something stuck really bad, and I had to sit down on the step, and it caused me pain as I started to walk. When I was go- trying to go up the stairs, it caused me pain. When I tried to go down the stairs, it caused me pain. So I was just wondering, perhaps, maybe what that could possibly be. 
Yeah, let me ask let me ask a couple of questions with that. So it's and just a clarification. So you hit your foot, but right when it happened, there was a sharp pain on the back of your lower leg. Is that correct? Well, actually, I hit my shoe. The, oh, okay. The, my shoe hit the staircase, uh-huh. and and it was my calf. Well, uh, when I took a when I took a step, my calf, my left calf, right, the mid- midway of my calf. Okay. It, it had a sharp stick in it. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I um I had to sit down because the pain. Every time I moved my leg, the pain would hit kind of like from that point midway my calf up through the. Uh, right above my left uh, bend of my knee. Gotcha. On the all on the backside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's been kind of sore ever since then. Yeah. And how long ago was that? A week ago. A week last ago. Last week. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So what probably happened uh, is that you pulled or. It's a, It sounds like you got a small tear in those muscles on the back of your leg. you got a couple of muscles in the calf area. The two biggest uh-huh. ones are the gastric nemius. That's the one that you can that's, that's toward the surface of the leg. And then you've got one that's deeper called the soleus. Sometimes you can uh, tear one of those muscles a little bit. Partial tears are okay. They tend to heal up okay. But it's, something happened when you hit your foot on that step. And either if you were trying to steady yourself or when you hit it itself, it can be some weird, bizarre ways that people tear muscles. Uh, Years ago, I had a tear in a similar uh, place, jumping off the diving board at a swimming pool. And Uh I had a partial tear uh, that uh, took a long time to heal up. Um, The the best thing that you can do for that, uh, the usual things for muscle tears are sort of the rice um, therapy that we have. So that's rest, ice, compression, elevation. So if you can put some ice on that area, uh, you can take some ibuprofen if it's, you know, if you, if you can tolerate it, you don't get stomach, uh, stomach pain from that or, uh, Tylenol, but I would, I would try to stay off of it about another couple of days. If it's still hurting at that point, if you're having a sharp pain back there, you might want you to get your physician to look at that. X-ray is not really going to help with soft tissue, but they may do an exam put your, the, the foot through different motions, or maybe even have physical therapy take a look at you because they may can help you do some things. I, my guess is it's going to get better over the next week or so, uh, and it's, you know, you're going to have a slow recovery back to normal function. Okay, thank you. Sure. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're taking your questions this morning. Let's go to Larry in Georgia. Good morning, Larry. Hi, Dr. Jimmy. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good. Is that the the state of Georgia? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the yeah, yeah. not the Eastern European state. The United, <laughs> the state in the United States. Well, Jimmy, you can say good. But as far as you know, I'm I'm in the beautiful state of Georgia and in the beautiful city of Atlanta, Georgia. There so you go. Right. There right. you go. Where you got all that traffic? Oh, I, I, I mean, I mean, a knife in my heart. You're so true, so true. It's terrible. <laughs> I love Atlanta. Uh, Go ahead, Larry. Uh, what's your question this morning? Okay, well, give me the background. I, I'm I'm 69 years young. I'm going to be turning 70 years young in, in about a fortnight, and I'm in I'm in good health. Although I had about a cancer last year, I'm over that. I'm you know, so thank God for that. But um, I I also have a I guess prostate condition. You know, men of my age. Um, and I've had to urinate several times in the evening. So my doctor put me on finasteride, five milligrams, uh-huh. and he just said that, just said, take this indefinitely. Uh, so I just wonder, uh, you know, I mean, the purpose of it, I guess, is to reduce my, my prostate gland. So does finasteride do that, and how long does it take from your experience? And then, two, I think finasteride is pretty good for growing back, you know, hair. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bald. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, that, that's uh, so finasteride is a it, it's a the fancy term sort of a, of those medications is a five alpha reductase inhibitor. So basically, you're right. It's a medication that's used to shrink the prostate down. The all men have a prostate, and as you get older, that prostate gets bigger, sort of kinks off the the plumbing, so to speak, with urination, and your urine stream can decrease both in uh, its forcefulness uh, and the time that it takes for that. You can have some overflow incontinence. There's all kinds of different symptoms that go along with that. But basically, the bigger the prostate, the more problems you have. 
So uh, these medications can help decrease that. Your doctor may tell you you have BPH, that's benign uh, prostate hypertrophy. It's not related to cancer. Cancer can have some similar, um, you know, uh, effects or symptoms. But in this case, finasteride is one of those medications that helps shrink it down. You do have to stay on it for the effect to be there. If you come off of it, the prostate's just going to slowly over time uh, get bigger. One thing you have to keep in mind, it's not one of those medications where you take it, you see an immediate effect. It may take months uh, to see that prostate shrink slowly down. Uh, The other thing is you mentioned hair uh, growth. So uh, finasteride, so Proscar is the brand name that's marketed for the prostate. But it's the same medication that is Propecia. And Propecia is the, a, a medication, a pill that you can take. There's also a liquid form that you can use locally on the scalp. And it does grow hair. And a lot of people on Proscar, uh, that's actually how they sort of found out about that other effect of it, is that they grow hair. So it has an effect uh, on the hair follicles in, in men. It's also, uh, you have to be careful about it in women, but you can use it there. But it can it can actually uh, increase hair growth, and it's you know sort of mild to moderate. But a lot of a lot of men who are on it will uh, notice that. So it's not a bad side effect. Hey, it's a good one if you're losing your hair. But um, but yeah, if you come off of that, you're likely to have the symptoms come back. Um, but if it okay. you know if you if you're not getting a good response, you should tell your physician and just come off of it. But if it's working, I think you'd probably stick with it. Well, Doctor Jimmy, last question. Uh-huh. So. So you say, okay. So if you if you get off of it, if you get off of it, the, the prostate could grow back slowly. So basically, is this medication I probably have to take for the rest of my life, or what do you think? Yep, probably so. I mean, unless okay. you have side effects okay. with it, I, I you know I I just stick no. with it. Dr. Jimmy, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for calling, Larry. Have a good day. You too, sir. Bye bye. Let's go to uh, Julie in Jackson. Good morning, Julie. I think you have a comment. Yes, I wanted to comment uh, the gentleman who pro- called in previously about having problems with his tendons right. after taking antibiotics. Right. Um, people should be aware that if they have any neuromuscular diseases, uh, that they have to be very careful to not take certain drugs that are considered toxic and uh, can uh, make their situation worse. Uh, for example, one of one of the drugs that is toxic is, is uh, ciprofen antibiotic. So I just wanted to throw that out there and um, let people know that if they have other conditions, certain certain drugs can be toxic. Yeah, and it's uh, you know I might. I... Toxic is, you know, that's sort of one thing. You do have adverse side effects, and in some conditions, you do have to watch out for that. So you're exactly right. Um, that is a very important thing to take, particularly if you're going to uh, uh, to tell a physician or your your practitioner that you're going to, particularly if they don't know you. If you're going to, say, an MEA or a, an acute care clinic, uh, for instance, and, uh, you know, they're going to prescribe an antibiotic. You need to, to make sure that they know about those other things. So Julie's exactly right. If you do have neuromuscular diseases or really anything, they should ask about that. If they don't, you tell them, uh, you know, these are the, the medical problems that I have because there are a lot of potential interactions, not just with antibiotics, but with, with all medications. And some of them are contraindicated. One common thing that we see is um, is kidney dysfunction. So if you have chronic kidney disease, if your doctor has said that, hey, your, your kidneys aren't working as well as they should, there are a lot of medications that need to be either dose-adjusted, so you'd have to decrease the dose, or they may want to use another medication in a lot of uh, situations. So that's, that's one thing in particular that gets missed. Uh, and if they don't test specifically for that, you know, if you come into the office, you get prescribed something, that's not something that they would normally pick up. So, Julie, thanks for that. That's some good information out there that we need to remind everybody that um, if you're really OCD about stuff, and, I mean, I, you know, you can get into trouble with this a little bit, but uh, if you have, particularly if you have a lot of medical conditions, uh, having access to that in a quick kind of way is, is a good idea. Electronic medical records are so good now about providing that, so it's already there. Uh, particularly if even if you're going to another physician, if they use the same electronic medical record, they can have that. But always a good idea to tell your physician or whoever's treating you. So thank you, Julie, for calling and, uh, and giving us that information.
All right, let's go to Martha in Memphis. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Well, thank you for being there to answer our question. My pleasure. Well, my question is, I naturally and probably genetically run a low platelet count, and uh, I have uh, several items that's been suggested I not take, such as aspirin and so mm-hmm. forth. The one I'm missing, uh, not taking because of uh, arthritis and joint problems, is a, a leave. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on how that affects the platelet count? So uh, let me ask you a question about, do you know your number, like the platelet count number? I have seen it, but it just didn't stick with me. I would, As, as I recall, it's like about a third uh, the numbers sure. about a third of what it should be so, so uh, that helps okay so uh yeah the the so let's let's just back up and so platelets platelets are are used by the body as one of the initial things to plug a hole in blood vessels so if you get a cut uh, either internally or externally from whatever it is, that's what the body uses to plug those holes. So they're produced in the bone marrow, and they go all over the bloodstream. They're floating around there. So when they say a platelet count, there's a normal range, and it can be a, a pretty wide range. There's a lot of platelets that are just waiting to plug a hole. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them hang out inside the bloodstream. A lot of them hang out on the interior surface of blood vessels, too, and they're activated by certain factors uh, that sort of sense those those cuts in a, in a blood vessel. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that comment before. Yep. And, and uh, if you have low, you know, a lower than normal um, uh, count of platelets, uh, of course, that might interfere with how, you know, how fast those cuts uh, get plugged. Now, there are a couple of medications. You mentioned aspirin. You know, aspirin, there's a, couple, there's a few others that are used by in cardiologists or sometimes if you've had a vascular procedure, if you had a stent like Plavix. Um, those inhibit platelet function. So they make, pla- make platelets less sticky. Uh, so that they don't work as well. And in those situations, you want your blood to be less, uh, you know, sticky, if you want to think of it that way. Um, So aspirin does that, and um, so that's a good reason not to do that. If you have a lower number of platelets to begin with, you know, that's going to put you at risk for bleeding a little bit more. Sure. Now, the NSAIDs like Aleve, ibuprofen, those kind of medications, Advil, they can inhibit platelet function a little bit, not as much as, say, aspirin or Plavix, but it does have the potential to do that. Now, depending on the level, you said about a third of what is normal, um, you know, you're not in a dangerous range, and honestly, you, you probably could do that, but I would try not to, and I'd try some other alternatives, whether that's, you know, uh, medication to prevent the pain, like uh, there's lots of things out there that are good for chronic pain if you're having it, even if it's in your joints, um, like um, uh, Lyrica or Neurontin, uh, Cymbalta is another one, or maybe trying some things that are, you know, non-medication. So there's a lot of good old remedies that can help out uh, with, with chronic pain management. Oh, sure. I use uh, heat uh, sometimes and cold sometimes, which... Uh, may help some, but something uh, orally uh, would be good, too. Now, I have a problem. Well, I made a note of these other items you suggested that might be helpful. That's new. Um, I can't take, unfortunately, Tylenol. I'm Mm -hmm. allergic to it, apparently. Mm -hmm. And that would be my first go-to. Right alternative. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. So that's usually if you can't take ibuprofen or the NSAIDs, uh, then Tylenol would be your next best bet because that doesn't inhibit platelet function and it can treat, uh, you know, either acute pain or chronic pain. But I, I might try those other ones and just stick to the to the things you mentioned. Uh, they can work and they're pretty effective. Um but yeah, I think you're sort of stuck there a little bit. Um, if you know, if your physician said, "Hey, your platelets are too low. Don't take a leave anymore," I'd probably stick with that. I wouldn't push that. Well, I don't. Uh, there have been times where I just. Uh
Uh-oh, Martha, did we lose you? Are you there, Martha? And it's good to get uh, another opinion. Oh, sure. Well, thank you for calling. I hope that helps. It did. Okay. Bye. You have a good day. I will. Bye. This is Southern Remedy. We're taking your calls this morning. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. When we come back, we're going to be taking your calls and maybe a, we've got time, a little bit of things in the news that are interesting. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're taking your calls this morning, all kinds of questions, great questions this morning, and a little bit of information for you. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send us an email. Maybe you can't get to the phone today, but have that question. We'd love to answer it offline at remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, hot off the press. This is going to come out in the journal. I know everybody subscribes to this. The Journal of the American College of Cardiology, the July 31st issue, just came out uh, a couple of days ago on Monday that they were looking, every so often they'll look at diet and what the effects are. So if you're looking for heart benefit, something that's going to benefit your heart health, uh, no surprise here, but a diet rich in fruits, vegetables, beans, and grains remains the way to go. Uh, So that's a new uh, view of all the research. There's not a whole lot out there on some things, but the biggest findings, omega-3 fatty acids, uh, foods that contain those, and legumes, that's beans, lentils, peas, they all have good evidence for heart effects, uh, for heart benefits, rather. Uh, coffee and tea, you know, we used to think, well, coffee's bad. Maybe it's, and you, know, you shouldn't be drinking that at all. And tea, maybe so, maybe not. Um, they are reasonable choices if you don't add things. So for all us Southerners out there, the sugar that we're pouring in our tea, not so good. But tea itself is okay. Same thing for coffee. And, you know, you got to be careful. There's uh, tons of ways you can sweeten up those drinks. Uh, full-fat dairy foods, that that probably should be avoided. Um, it doesn't mean that you just should eat nothing but legumes, fish, and coffee. Uh, you know, you need to have a varied diet, uh, but that's certainly the best thing for your heart if you do that, and combined with exercise, of course. But um, that's just uh, going to come out next week. Always good to review those things. A lot of people who take supplements believe in that. Not a whole lot of evidence for that. It's very interesting that there have been very few studies that validated supplements when taken out of food, the natural way that you eat it uh, in whole foods, uh, particularly those vegetables and fruits. That's just a much better way to get those nutrients, uh, and there's not a whole lot of evidence that supplements uh, help that. All right, we're going to go to uh, Martha in Morton, Mississippi. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Oh, uh, I have a... A uh, question about uh, when you fill out a questionnaire in a doctor's office, a lot of them will say, have you had any change in bowel habits? Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what qualifies for that. Um, I haven't had any constipation or diarrhea, but I'm, I'm having like three bowel movements in the morning instead of one, and the um, size of the little pieces have, are 
about like elbow macaroni or something where, of course, they were bigger before. Um, the texture seems the same. Does anything? Does that point to anything like an obstruction in the bowel or something? Only if it's, you know, when they ask those questions, they're looking for different, you know, that's probably the questionnaire that they give is something probably called a review of systems. And that's a tool that, that we use when we're, uh, when we're taking a history of a patient. And sometimes it's much easier and more thorough just to give that to the patient while they're waiting to be seen so that we can review it. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to pick up on things that might be abnormal, not just cancer. That's one of them, but other things that might be affecting your bowel habits and they're probably going to follow that up with a question. Now, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, what is abnormal? Because bowel movements can change um, from one person to the next. You know, some people are totally within the normal range, and they have one bowel movement every three or four days. Uh, they don't have constipation. They have form stools. Uh, other people have five to seven bowel movements a day. Uh, they're formed. They're not, you know, diarrhea. A lot of that can be influenced by what we eat and bacterial changes. Uh, sort of gross subject, but 80% of the total volume of stool is bacteria. And we need those bacteria. They help us digest digest a lot of things. They also help us absorb a lot of nutrients. So you want the healthy bacteria in your gut. Your gut sort of takes care of that over time. Uh, but it can change from time to time. If you're taking certain medications, it can make it change. And that can also affect your bowel habits, stress, activity levels, amount of water that you drink. All those things play into what comes out. So you have to prime the pump with things. And then what comes out in the stool uh, is a reflection of that. So you don't need to be too meticulous about, you know, seeing if the, you know, is there a change day to day. If it goes on more than about a week, though, that would be something that I might discuss with my physician. So really, when they talk about change in bowel habits, you want that question to be fairly open ended um, so that you can pick up on any kind of you know things that are happening. But really, they're looking for more uh, dramatic changes than just a day to day change. Yeah, well, this is not day to day. It's it's been several months that um, you know it's been consistent yep. now for several months if it's several months i probably would discuss it with them it may be nothing um you know they may want to test your stool or do another procedure just as a normal screen but mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know it's not it's not something that necessarily would uh would prompt them to do that they'd probably want to ask you some more questions about it though yeah. well i'm not deep on colonoscopy i had one either two or three years ago and i'm supposed to go back in five years and but um, um, I, I hadn't had any change in medication except my blood pressure pill. I'm taking amyloride instead of uh, amylor HCTZ. Mm-hmm. My, yep. uh, my, my um, salt was, um, sodium was real low, and that was the reason for that. It, but, that, um, that could be, you know, it's a type of diuretic. It's a potassium-sparing diuretic, the amyloride. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that, that may be, uh, changing your bowel habits. I don't think it's from, by what you described. I don't think it's anything serious, but, yeah. um, but yeah, even a small change like that could, could sometimes yeah. change your bowel habits. Well, it's mainly annoying, you know, going sure. from one bowel movement after breakfast to one before breakfast and one maybe during breakfast and yeah. another one later, but. That, uh, that is quite a bit. I'd probably talk to your doctor about that. Okay. Okay. Thank uh, you so much. You're Love welcome. You're oh, thank good, you. Doing a good job. Dr. Rick is proud of you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we were proud. Hey, I'm, I'm thankful that he has, uh, gave me the chance to come on years ago, and uh, we certainly mm-hmm. wish him well. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Martha. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bowel habits are, you know, they can be sort of hard to figure out things and they can sometimes they can change for no apparent reason and uh, same thing for kids too you know babies um, they their bowel habits can change uh, pretty quickly that is one time period when the bacterial content in the gut it gets populated fairly quickly right after birth but then it changes over time and a lot of people are into probiotics and taking those not a whole lot of evidence that it helps uh, just for routine maintenance, uh, you populate the gut pretty well. The types of foods you eat have more influence than actually a probiotic. 
The exception with that would be if you wipe out the gut flora. So taking antibiotics, another reason to not take antibiotics unless you absolutely need it or prescribe them for that matter. Uh, but it can wipe out all those good bacteria and uh, have a lot of problems with that. So there's limited evidence that that might work. And uh, won't even go into bowel transplants, uh, but that's that's another one. Uh, stool transplant uh, can help in some situations, but not not for everybody. All right, let's go to Jesse in Richland. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, I've got a question about uh, chronic migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, my fiance's had it on and off for uh, several years now, and usually she'll just take some uh, over-the-counter medicine. But over the past year or so, it's been getting constantly worse and worse, and I was just wondering uh, what kind of options might be available for treating that. Sure. Yeah, migraines are the one of the most common types of headaches, and they have... Everybody has their own little flair of this. So in taking a good history, you know, your physician will ask, you know, what are some of the symptoms? Do you know if it's coming on? Do you have any aura with that? That's some things that happen before the headache actually comes on. Some people have the aura and no headache. So they'll have, uh, they'll see flashing lights. They may even hear weird noises. Uh, They may have nausea with it. So everybody's migraine is a little bit different. But if it is a migraine and you're having a lot of them, in other words, you're having them uh, several times a week. And if you have a migraine, it is debilitating. It can take you out of work. It can take you uh, away from your family, your social social situations. Taking PRN medication, in other words, this medication you take when it happens, um, if you're having to take that more than a couple of times a week, you probably do need to think about a preventive medication. The good thing is if it's truly a migraine, we have some good ones that are out there. Um, there are several different choices of, of medications. Uh, several of them, if you have other medical conditions, can be combined. For instance, beta blockers can do that. Sometimes a calcium channel blocker can prevent a, a, a migraine headache. The difference there would be you don't wait to take the medication until you have the headache. You take it every day to prevent it. Now, there are migraine-specific medications like Imitrex is probably one of the more common ones, but there's, there's certainly others that are out there. Uh, those you take when you first feel the symptoms of a migraine, and they work a little bit differently than, say, some of the, the pain medications. So it's not really targeting the pain itself. It's targeting the mechanism that the headache is, is, uh, is, is causing the pain. So um, that would be one thing to take. But if you're having to take even those a couple of times a week, uh, Topamax has been used um, for uh, headache prevention. There's some other medications that are a little bit older uh, that, that, uh, that have been used to try to prevent those headaches. But if you have them fairly frequently and you're not really getting good relief, um, I, I would consider that. Maybe even ask your physician about it. You don't necessarily have to see a neurologist for that. Uh, it all is on the you know the experience and the comfort level of your of your provider. But uh, that you know they may want you to see a neurologist at that point if you're going to be on one of those medications. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for calling in, Jesse. Sure. Let's go to uh, Bob, who has a comment on migraines. Good morning, Bob. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks for calling. Good. Uh, just in reference to the gentleman just now with the migraines, I, I get them too, and they you're right, they're debilitating. Um, several months back, there was um, a lady, uh, a doctor that I guess she specializes there in Ridgeland um, with migraines. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that one of the first things that she does is put her patients on B2, Vitamin yep. B2, which is riboflavin, yep. 400 milligrams every day. And so I started doing that. And believe it or not, it has actually helped. Now, it doesn't totally el- eliminate or alleviate, but the, but it just has, you know, it's helped. I mean, you know, the frequency has, has it's been, you know, it's helped a lot. Yeah, that's that's one of the I'd say fairly newer things. It's been out for about five or probably five to eight years, but or so. But uh, and it's used a lot in adolescents that have um, migraines. But it, you know, certainly adults can take it. Uh, it's one of those things. The B vitamins you can't take too many of those, so they are they go out of your body. You know, without you know, if you get too many of them, they just come on out. Uh, this is one of those situations. If it works, that's great. You stick with it. It's fairly cheap. Uh, to take. You can take over the counter. 
the the dose that you mentioned, 400 milligrams, is usually what what's recommended. And um, man, it can. I, I've had a, a few people that it worked really well in, um, and and it's interesting the way you described it is exactly how they've described it, where it's like you know it helps a lot. It doesn't totally go away. I still have a migraine every once in a while, but it's cut down on the frequency of those. So. Uh, yeah, thanks for reminding us about that. That uh, that's certainly something that you can take, and yep. you, you probably are not going to get it in a B complex vitamin. No, um, you're going to have fact, to. You can't get those just anywhere. Uh, matter of fact, I can right. only found I can only find those like on Amazon. The yeah, there are, milligram. there's a couple of uh, of uh, specialty pharmacies uh, that you can find them. And usually if you're if you have a physician that's recommending that they're going to know which pharmacy to send you to. But you're right. You have to, you know, you you have to be a little bit careful about that. Make sure that it's got a, a USP, uh, a standardization of of the potency on that. But um, but, yeah, it's you, you may have to do that. You may actually make and save some money if you get them online. Yeah, um, because if you try and do like the, you can find fifty and one hundred everywhere, but you'll pay the same price for the one hundreds as you do for the four hundreds. So by the time you take four of those rascals, you're you're spending a ton of money. Yep, have to anyway, shop around that's too. That's all I had to say. Thanks, Bob. That's that's helpful. And that you know, like I said, migraines are a big. That's uh, that's a it is a chronic medical condition that affects a lot of people, not just adults either. Certainly, adolescents and sometimes children can get them. This is Southern Remedy, and I'm Dr. Jimmy, uh, taking your calls this morning. We're going to take a short break, but you can call us in the interim, and we will get back to you in a few minutes. You can call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're taking your calls this morning. That's right. The doctor is in. Got a couple more minutes to squeeze a couple of more in there. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you can't reach us this morning, uh, you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org, and we will try to answer your question that you have. Let's go to, uh, I think it's Marie in Louisville. Good morning, Marie. Are you there? Hello, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I had a call on... Uh, to me several years ago. I'm, I'm 60 years old. Uh-huh. And um, the very first colonoscopy I had, the, the doctor tattooed it, thank goodness. Because since then, I've had two other colonoscopies, and the growth keeps coming back, three cancers in the same place. So that's three times. Yep. Should I, and I, uh, colon cancer is prevalent in my family. My brother at 45 years old had colon cancer. Um my grandfather, a couple of but anyway, should I get that part of my colon cut out? I'm getting yeah, regular that's... colonoscopies every three years instead of five, like most people, Frank man. Yeah. But because it keeps coming back, I am so scared of yeah. colon cancer, and I know what it's done to my family. We don't have a whole lot of evidence about that. So, you know, the colonoscopy is the best test to directly look for any of those polyps, those precancerous lesions that you mentioned. 
And you mentioned the tattoo. I don't know if people heard that, that, uh, but what they do now is they actually do a little tattoo inside the colon so that that's their marker that when they get back to it, you know, they measure the distance from the opening there, the, uh, and then um, they can go back to the same spot to take a look at it. Because what we know is even if you get that polyp and cut it off, there's still maybe some cells at the base that can grow back. And going back to the same spot, particularly if you have a family history, uh, like you mentioned, of, of colon cancer, you want to go back and make sure that you, you get to that so the question of whether to take out that segment of colon is um, that's sort of controversial. Some people will say do it, particularly if you're having to go back in. The risk of doing the surgery may be lower than, say, going and, and doing colonoscopies that frequent. Um, and in some hereditary situations, I'm assuming you don't have one of the more common ones. There's a, a familial one where you get tons and tons and tons of polyps. It doesn't sound like that's what's going on. In those cases, they'll take out the whole colon um, because it can reduce their risk. Uh, that is an option. The problem is, you know, getting a surgeon to take out something that's precancerous, even if it's coming back, uh, they may not be as, you know, as happy about doing that. Uh, there are some risk with the surgery, with complications that might happen. So it's, you know, it's, it, that's going to be a discussion you have to have. I think I would bring it up. The more times they're getting precancerous, I think the more you're looking at, you know, the risk may outweigh getting those, uh, you know, doing what you're doing right now, particularly for, for future uh, colon cancer. So that's what I would do. I'd, I'd keep discussing it with it, Marie. But uh, uh, if it were me and my family and I had that history, certainly I'd say, hey, if you can take it out, take that segment out. Hey, thanks to all our callers today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and, of course, generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener is Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday, excuse me, next Wednesday at Old Habits uh, at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.